stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! It again. No double team help and B takes it right to the rack. What's going on, everybody? This is the feed to Embiid. Another, we were continuing on from our previous stream that we just had uh, going on for shoot around. As always, I am your host, Austin Krell. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. We do have our producer, Justin Persichetti. You can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Persichetti. And we have Jay Blevins, NBA, Jason Blevins. As you know, he is the grandfather beat writer of, of, of all of us. I have slowly sort of migrated into that role where he has gone on and, and basically done the same thing, but for 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 uh, 97.3 ESPN, he's now also getting back to his regular career on 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 the daily. So so we have him joining us today. Brock has some other work he is doing, um, so he is not available today. So I, I did I did make up his uh, his disappearance with Jason and Justin, uh, two of the very best we have on our program uh guys how are we today you're giving us high praise i'll say that <laughs> wow <laughs> J- J- jason was not too happy with that <laughs> no I'm, th- I'm, I'm cool with it there we go high praise there we uh, go so we just not, got I'm not shaved today by the way i got rid of the beard a few weeks ago and uh this is i'm not yet shaved today so yeah, well, that, this year, that's a bad apparently. content for people who can't people who can't see you right now listening on on Spotify. Well, then they should uh, <laughs> subscribe and rate to our YouTube channel, and turn on notifications. And next time they will Fact. not miss that kind of content. That's right. Fact. Now we just got word from Woj, Giannis Antetokounmpo will be in the lineup today for the Bucks versus the Nets, kicking off a an absolutely critical and we cannot emphasize this enough. A, crit- a critical two-game uh, series with the, the between the Nets and the Bucks. Obviously, the Sixers are watching this series and and, and hoping uh, to you know see the, the Nets lose because um, if 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 the Nets uh, are to to lose one game or two games in this two-game series, Sixers can then overtake the first spot in the East, mind you. Um, even if the Nets and the Sixers finished with the exact same record, Sixers with but when they beat the Nets two, three weeks ago, I think it was, they took the tiebreaker. So the Sixers ultimately all they need to do is finish with at least the same record as the Nets to get the one seed, and uh, it can dramatically change their odds of, of getting to conference finals, NBA finals, what have you. Um, so today, what we're going to do, we are going to dive into not only you know the, the playoff scenarios, but but the schedule to come for the Sixers. As you can see, our producer Justin brings up the bracket for you to see. Right now, the Sixers are jockeying to play, uh, you know, either the either the, the Heat or the, the Hornets in the in the first round, depending on who wins that the, the, those playing games. Um, and we said this on the other stream. I I said this. I don't know that Justin or Jason agree with me on this, but. Um, 
I think the the Heat can present some serious problems for the Sixers in the ways that the Pacers cannot, the Wizards cannot, and the and the Hornets cannot. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's in the Sixers' best interest for the sake of of, of ease and stress if they can get that one seed. Because if, if they get get that one seed, guys, they're 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 playing the Pacers or the Wizards in the first round, and then they're playing the winner of. The Buck or the uh, the the Hawks and the Knicks. Whereas if they're the two seed, they got to play either Miami or Charlotte, and then they're playing Milwaukee for it for a chance to dance with the Nets. Um, Jason, how do you feel about any type of first round matchup? I know we discussed this, but yeah, we did, and and uh, I evolved on the topic since an hour ago. <laughs> Ancient thoughts forever changing, everybody. <laughs> I try to look at things from different angles, and, and I've looked at it from another angle, which is um, I don't view the Heat as a threat to eliminate the Sixers in a first-round matchup. But are they able to um, highlight some weaknesses that uh, the Nets or, let's say, the Celtics? Because I, I, I still kind of feel like the Celtics are going to find their way into that uh, five slot. Um, if not the four seed, so I kind of feel like they're going to be in that um, in that zone. So um, there, you know, are there things that a Miami team is able to highlight that the Brooklyn Nets can use in an Eastern Conference Finals that maybe uh, Charlotte couldn't or. Uh, Indiana, Washington, Atlanta, New York—one of those teams wouldn't be able to do. So, I think I, I think I see uh, where it's a little bit problematic. They, they put some stuff on tape uh, for other teams uh, because of Miami just having a great coach and having some really, really interesting players. Um, a, really, a really good player in Bam Adebayo. Yeah, but there's no like there is no Bam Adebayo on the Nets, so I'm not sure how much a Bam Adebayo teaches the Nets how to exploit weaknesses on the Sixers. But certainly a Jimmy Butler could, um, you know. Nope. There are um, <laughs> look, it's three thirty in Australia. Ben Butler still awake, uh, so I think Jimmy's Australian we, brother. I think we can agree that uh, you know somewhere, someone, it's three thirty somewhere, three thirty a.m. somewhere. So Jimmy's probably in the gym working. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, so a couple stats for you here: the Heat, um, they 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 allow ninety five point three points per half court per per hundred half court plays uh, per cleaning the glass. So. They're not at quite at the Sixers level in terms of half court defense, but they're still a very good, um, you know, half court defensive team. And then in transition, where the Sixers really have been able to put some 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 hurt on teams lately, um, the 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 Heat are allowing um, two point two points per a hundred uh, possessions in, in, in transition for cleaning the glass. I don't know how that makes sense. No, it's, it's right here on cleaning the glass. So I yeah. can't, um, <laughs> get, get Ben Falk on the line right now. I haven't explained that stat. There we go. Um, wait, oh, that's, that's points plus it's points added per hundred possessions. So 
they give up 124.5 points uh, per 100 transition plays, which is 13th per, uh, in, in, in best in the NBA. So quite you know on the mediocre side in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, you, you, you're, you're going to obviously want to turn the the heat it, the heat you know you, you're going to try to get in transition against them. That means force misses. That means um, you know trying to turn them over because once you once you turn them over get or get them in transition, you have your bet you have your, your you have your best chance against them. But still, I think they have the players and the and the, and the pieces needed to make games ugly. And credit yeah. to the Sixers, they've won ugly oftentimes this year. And that's to yeah. me been one of the most impressive things with this team is that in years past, when games have gotten ugly, it's gotten really ugly. And that just doesn't seem to be the case as much this year, at least when the stars are in the game. Obviously, we've had some games where it's been really ugly, where Embiid and Simmons have been out, or Embiid and Harris, or Simmons and Harris. And it's just it's games where we have our starters in there, even if we lose, it doesn't look terrible most of the time now. So it's, and that's no, that's not normal. So it's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so uh, while you've got, um, that stat up uh what kind of team where where does miami fall middle of the pack upper echelon lower I, i'm guessing it they're one of the better teams and not turning the ball over my my guess is that they they do not turn the ball over a ton so their turnover percentage is uh actually 14.5 percent that ranks tw- that's 21st in the nba so well that's that then, then that that transition uh Stat, I think, becomes much important. more significant. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. I'm now, surprised it's so high, honestly, because Jimmy dominates the ball so much. Uh, they're not a team that just throws the ball around a bunch. But I also wonder how many of their turnovers, and this is one of those tricky ones where I don't know that we have a stat for this. How many of their turnovers are out of bounds, like on a missed lob to, uh, to bam that just flies out of bounds basically versus, dead, ball versus, dead ball versus live ball turnover basically. yeah but versus those uh those pick six type cross court passes uh you don't have that I don't have that one. yeah and that's that that's the like the that's where i wish we had those available stats i know the teams have them i haven't been able to find that kind of stuff because you know, the Sixers do a lot of pick six turnovers. A lot of them are, are the wrong type of turnovers. And, um, but some teams, uh, you know, it, it's a failed possession, but it's not any more harmful than a missed shot in some other cases, some cases. So, um, I wonder. Yeah. Um, so like I'm, I'm looking over at the Char- at Charlotte conversely, their defense in Charlotte's actually, comparable to the heat maybe a little better because they're not giving up as much in transition um as the heat are but their their, their offense is really uh, a much different story like the, the the hornets are not um a terribly great offensive team like they're they're the, the same they are the L- lamello ball of offenses yes exactly Sounds that and that, that is appropriate, I think, for the for the for, for the the description. They give up. They they score ninety five point four points per hundred half court plays. Twenty first in the NBA. So not, nothing nothing great in terms of that half court. Um, and then in transition, they 
uh, score 124.7 per 100. So that's 18th in the NBA. So they're, they're basically a middle of the pack team offensively, um, breaching on a little bit higher uh, on the defensive. They're a little better on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so I mean, but I think they just don't have the size or the bodies to even come close to stopping Embiid. So he could just foul out their bigs in like two minutes, and then that's basically the game right there. Like I, I think they'd win that series in four or five. Yeah, I and I was so one of the good things about this season is you see these uh, these two game sets. I was able to watch Charlotte in a two game set in Philadelphia and see what they their uh, approach to stopping Philadelphia was, and a lot of it was a lot of full court pressure, um, trying to accentuate the Sixers turnovers. But the Sixers sort of like they went on tilt for a few minutes in the second half of each of those games, and, but then they sort of got uh, used to that pressure, settled down, and and uh, handled the rest of each of those games. That's how I see that that uh, series playing out. Like they they have they have a puncher's chance in a game or two because of that if they can. The Sixers throw the ball away 24, 25 times in a game, which they could. But, you know, once you see it for, for five, seven games or four probably, um, that's not going to really win you a series against Philadelphia. That's right. Um, now, if we go over to, like, the other side of it where it's Indiana and Washington, um, Justin, I know you said that you thought that the, 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 the Wizards could pose a little bit of issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think the issue would be to the point of losing a series. I think that's obvious. They don't have anybody who can defend MB down low consistently, or even Tobias Harris, really, if you think about it. But I, um, I just think guards have in the past, especially guards like Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, have given the Sixers a lot of struggle in the past. Hopefully, our perimeter defense, our newly Remember, defense have added Matisse Thibel, added Danny Green, and Ben Simmons just being ridiculous all the time now. Um, hopefully that wouldn't be the case as often, but I just think those guards are just – it's just like the Nets to me in a lot of ways. That Those guards can go off whenever they want, and they also produce a lot for their teammates as well, especially a guy like Russell Westbrook who is averaging a triple-double again this year. So it's, it's just – I think they have guard play that – like the Nets at times can really give you some problems. And I think that's what makes them maybe the ideal tune-up to prepare for an Eastern Conference final matchup against the Nets. If you look at all of these teams, they might be the one team that gives you the best preview of having just an elite, elite ball handler who can drop 60 on you and having to find ways to stop that. Mm. Um they might be the best tune-up, warm-up uh, for them. Well, so here's what here's my thing with the Wizards. Um, if we look at like their players, right? They the, they have you know Thomas Bryant is is out for the year with torn ACL. Um, Davis Bertans is shooting thirty nine point nine percent. Garrison Matthews is a threat. Uh, Howell Neto has played, you know, really the most games besides Robin Lopez for the for, the, for them, and he's shooting thirty eight and a half percent from three on two point six attempts per game. No one's really killing people from the outside 
um, except for Davis Bertans. And I mean, Bradley Beal is shooting 34.7%. Russ is shooting 31.4%. You could zone up in that, in that series with Ben and T's top of the arc and just go 2-3 zone. And if they, I mean, maybe they'll win a game by burying 23s, but they're a large part. If you, if you can, if you can stunt their dribble penetration, you're going to probably win that series without looking back too much. Yeah. But, but again, you're, you're, you're not in big fear of losing the series. So are you trying to say, uh, use them as a scout team and Bertans, is your Joe Harris, I don't know, analog. I, I don't think that's that's a compared. Joe Harris runs around so much more than Davis Bertans does. Well, I agree, but you're try, what you're trying to do is you're trying to prepare. I wouldn't necessarily just optimize your, your defensive scheme to beat Washington. I would be trying out schematic elements that you think you can use in later series. Um, so Beal is a good analog for, um, Kyrie, obviously that's a good analog. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, so I wouldn't necessarily just throw out a defense that you're not going to be able to use in a Brooklyn series. Um, fair, you know, fair. Yeah. And I, I, I think the issue then becomes, and I'm not, I'm not saying the Sixers like shouldn't be appreciative of the fact that their line to the conference finals would be like potentially um, Indiana, Washington, and then New York or Atlanta. Like that's a, that, that's a gift in a lot of work and a lot of, and, and, you know, not so many words. Um, but has there ever been an easier path to a conference final than that? I would venture to say probably not. No. Yeah. But um, something still tells me that Boston will be there sitting there in uh in round two waiting on still <laughs> just still does does boston scare you uh no but i i don't think it becomes a cakewalk to the conference finals like it would like it would look if if it remains if the board remains the same way it looks now uh geez i i just can't think of an easier path like I, I, I think you. I think if they get the one seed, it's probably a ninety something percent chance that they get to the uh, they, they get they get to the conference finals. And I think that 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 can, that can be good or bad. That it's that easy because I mean, like like we, like we said, like we said in the live show, you want to have some adversity along the way so that way you're battle tested when it comes time for, the, for when it comes nut cutting time for the, in the conference finals. Um, but I'd say the, 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 the most important thing besides this Bucks Celtics series, uh, this Bucks net series that, you know, this week, um, is going to be the, 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 the heat playing the Celtics in the coming days. And we talked about this in the other, in the other show as well, but for those who weren't in attendance for that, um, they play the Celtics twice in Boston. They play the Bucks in the same stretch. Um, there's another team in there. I forget who it is, but it was. It, it's not an easy uh, stretch by any by any degree. So the Heat are going to have their chance chance to really solidify whether they're the they're the five seed or whether they're the the seven seed or if they're the eight seed um, or worse. In in you know when it when it comes down to it, um, 
in, in, the, in the coming weeks. I, I think right now, like the Sixers, in a large part, control their own destiny. And I think that's a, a, that's as important as anything. I mean, people were ready to jump off the ship as soon as they lost four games in a row. The reason that you can afford to lose four games in a row is because you dominated all virtually all season long leading up to that last week before Ben was out. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to get into Brooklyn. I'm still interested to see how uh, – I've watched so many playoff series with the chess match between games uh, of matchups. Mm-hmm. I don't get the sense at all that Brooklyn views – Anyone. Anyone like that. And and you've got a rookie head coach who's a great point guard, and they, they tend to be good head coaches, but is he a guy that's going to craft a, you know, a, a complex one, two, three counterpunch strategy for a playoff series? Is like he not I, going to yeah, real quick. I, I, don't, I don't think that Steve is going to have to do that. I really don't. Like, I, I feel yeah. like Nash is – Nash is there as more of a um, guy who's been there before and is, is understands the what the players go through. Under like, I don't think when when they signed Steve Nash to uh, for coaching that they were sitting there saying, "Okay, he's going to be the X and O's guy." You got Mike D'Antoni there. You have like you. I don't. I can't even think of all the other insane but assistant he- coaches they have there offensively. Like, Tony also struggles because he he has a he has that seven seconds or less philosophy. Doesn't you're right, but that's not philosophy. Who's going to make the adjustments when they get punched in the mouth? And Kyrie, KD, and Kyrie, KD, and James. It could now. Now let's go through history and how many teams have just steamrolled without needing adjustments through a playoff. They aren't that big. Correct. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think the, the 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 real difference to me with with them in comparison to other teams is that they do have those top three guys that have all been in big moments before, have all played on base. Not okay, James. You can't necessarily say he's played on a winning championship team, but he's played winning basketball in a lot of different scenarios. And KD and Kyrie have hit some of the biggest shots in NBA history in the biggest moments in NBA history. So I think. A lot of it's going to come down to isolation basketball. As simple as that. I don't think it's going to be any super creative styled offenses, anything that a coach is going to have to draw up insanely. I think they're going to try to get get the ball to guys in space, and they're going to say go to work. And I think that's what they're coming. The, it's going to come down to. Yeah. So if I'm Doc Rivers, does that make them a little easier to coach against? Because you know you don't have to. Um, get too creative. They're um, they're going to try to ISO you, especially in the last two minutes, the last four minutes of games. Mm-hmm. Um, but are I mean, they going to really so. throw you curveballs defensively throughout a series, or I, do your stars get very comfortable as well? Because you know they um, they don't have that, like they don't have the Eric Spolstra tactician change things up between games and really make your life uh difficult i feel like it really depends like i feel like it it depends like what the nets like because here, here's my initial thought about it def- defensively for the sixers going up against the nets 
The Sixers have one of the best situations when it comes to being able to guard a team like that because they have they have so many different perimeter defenders in Ben Simmons, Matisse Thybul, Danny Green, just guys that they can throw at them. Um, so I think ultimately when the Nets try to go ISO on you, it's up to if your best defenders can handle their best offensive players or at least like slow them down if they can. Um, at that point, if if they can't and it's not working, then I think yes, Doc is going to have to work harder to try to like tactician the defense a little, little bit, a little bit to see may, maybe when he wants to throw doubles on him, where he wants to throw the doubles at, like where he wants to load up on one end. Like it's it's really, I think it's really going to depend on what the Nets do and how successful they are in doing it against the against the Sixers. Yeah, I mean. I, I- I think those are all good points. I just think when it comes down to it, like regardless of whether it's easy or not for Doc to coach against that or what have you, I think the margin of error against a team like the Nets, because I think a lot of the fantasy of like how do we get ahead of the Sixers get past the Nets, um, and at least in the minds of the fans, is like okay, you got to stop like KD, Kyrie, and 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 Harden. Joe Harris has been a revelation. He's shooting like 50% from three. Um, uh, Jeff Crane has been huge for them. Nick Claxton's been a, a nice surprise for them. They have met, and Bruce Brown for sure, they've manufactured a ton of depth themselves um, in, in, in ways that you weren't sure that they could do. And it's so funny because we're not even talking about Blake Griffin. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and I think so much of the margin of error has gone away with the development of like, okay, they actually do have some fine depth. Um, and I think like right now, if you had to put a guess on, on, on how far a series goes in the Nets, Jason, what would you say? Oh, I think it's a six or seven game series. Cause I just think that it's going to come down to very often the Nets taking a final shot. Um, and you know, they'll, they'll make 40 to 60% of those shots. So I, I just think it smells like a very long series to me. And I think they might play a lot of long series. They might not, they might play a lot of close games that they win, uh, all of the, those games heading into that conference final. But to me, I would predict a very long series. And who would you say wins? Uh, I just, I mean, to me, <laughs> not to bring up a painful memory, but I, I just think That's, of Toronto and and the, and the bounces, right? Yeah. So um, it just, in my head, it, it goes right down to that final possession in a game seven and uh, whether that ball goes in or not. Okay. Justin? By the way, I think the winner – of such a of such a conference final series is probably going to win the championship. Yeah, I think I I don't disagree with that sentiment. Yeah. Um see my my thing with with the Sixers and Nets matchup is it, it's so tough because obviously you see how much perimeter isolation ball kind of players they have which have been key in like the past years of championships. Um, but just then I look at the Nets roster in general, and there's just no one that can match up against a guy like Joel Embiid. 
you're going to have to double team him. You're not gonna you're not gonna win a game in a playoff series. Or you're not gonna win a playoff series consistently trying to go one on one with Joel because he's gonna get your bigs in foul trouble and he's going to get to the line and you're gonna have to send doubles, which then like with that, you're gonna have to send doubles, which then he's gonna be able to pass out to his shooters and hopefully get them hot. So it's just I in a lot of ways I don't see how they can beat that. But then again, you just have so much there so much offense on the other team that it's like if they can hit shots at an efficient enough rate, then I do think that there's a shot they can win that series. So it, it to me it's so tough to like ultimately say that. Ultimately I think the Nets may be able to do it just because they have more. Yeah, I, and I also think that there are a lot of teams in this race that can uh, bring out really the, the bad weaknesses in Ben Simmons' game. But I'm not yeah. sure the Nets are one of those teams. Like, Ben Simmons could have himself a series. Against yeah, I, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my concern so, – so this is what I think. I think the Nets would win in five games. I think they would. Damn. I think it would be 2-0, 2-1, and the Nets win two in a row, and that's it. I think the Nets would win in five. And I, I think just the the people were banking on the Nets not being able to, like, field a, a competitive team outside of their first three or four. The, I mean, it, outside of, like, Durant, Harden, Kyrie going off, the margin of error is, like, a misrotation on like one or two Joe Harris threes, and that's the difference in the series. And and that's that's a, that's not a margin of error that you want. And I, and I, and I just don't think that the Sixers have the bodies to match up. And I think this is where Matt McGinty makes a good point. Like, how effective do you, do you see he's being in the Brooklyn series? I think he can be a different. I think he can be the difference between you being able to make pay, to keep pace with them and not not from an offensive standpoint, but. If you're going to compile a couple stops in a row when 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 a, when a game is close, Matisse um, Thybulle is 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 as pivotal and pivotal in all of that as as anyone is in, in that series. Yeah. To me, it's just like the Celtics series last year, where you saw and obviously offensively how Ben Simmons runs runs the team's offense is key in any playoff series. So that makes a huge difference in them losing in that in four or five. How how many games was it that we lost to the Celtics last year? Was it four? four? Yeah. Obviously, no, that, that, you, that's you a big play, difference. But Ben Simmons. What? Do you play with the Sixers? Because you keep saying we. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. The Sixers. Um. Anyway, when the Sixers lost last year with the Nets, last year against the Celtics, Ben Simmons wasn't there. And you could really see that where Ben was – without Ben – they struggled a lot on guarding Jason Tatum. He was go he was going at Matisse and just the pure length was just shooting over him. So I think it's the same thing with the Nets series where it's like you don't have if you don't have that like if, if you don't have three guys who can at least hang with them defensively, you're screwed. It's and Matisse is a huge key in that. Yeah, I I also going back to their role players, I think one thing we're maybe overestimating is the the Nets have done a great job at resting their guys so that they always have they usually have one of their stars available who you know sucks 40% of the oxygen out of the air but there's plenty of room to breathe for the Joe Harris's and the and the other role players. When you get all three playing, 
those role players are going to get far less opportunities to get into a rhythm. And if you are kicking out the Joe Harris in a game where he's gotten 12 shot attempts um, in the regular season, he's got a, he's, he's got a really good chance to knock those down. If you start uh, having a game where you're kicking it out to him late in the game or green or any of these guys where they've only got four or five shot attempts, I think there's a difference there. And uh, the playoffs really do tend to separate stars from non-stars. So I think the Sixers would be really happy to have Joe Harris try to beat them, you know? And will KD, Kyrie, and Harden all be happy with Joe Harris putting up 18 shot attempts in a game? I I think if they're winning, I don't think they'll care. (laughs) If it's working, do you like? Do you think that that's going to be something that they're going to bitch about? Stars, stars. Allen Iverson always believed that he gave the team the best chance. He was going to take twenty-eight shots in a game because he was the best option on every play. That's how stars think. So it's at the end of the game if Joe Harris got eighteen shots in the flow, they they'll they're going to say that they don't care, but they. In in a, you know, in the moment on each possession, one of those three guys is going to feel like he's the best option on that play. So, um, I think it comes down to the stars a lot, a, a lot more than Austin thinks. I think it's the role players are a lot less of a factor. Fair. I I would say this like, I think. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> While you're thinking, I'll say this. I think on a team like the Nets, the role players matter a lot less than on a team like the Sixers. The The, the, the difference in the team makeup and the difference in how they play is insane. <laughs> like like the, the Sixers, obviously, don't get me wrong, their stars on the Sixers team matter a lot, but – they, they work even better if the role players are going off in themselves or are, are in sync in themselves where the Nets can – I mean, you've seen it damn there every season with James Harden on the Rockets. He could have guys on the outside shooting 35 36% from three, but as long as he's shooting well and getting a lot of ISO possessions, they can still win games. So, And that, that hasn't been the case necessarily with Joel and Ben where – their games, if they if they don't have guys shooting well from the outside, playing their role well, it's a lot harder for them to efficiently um, get buckets and and win games for the team because they have triple teams being sent to them in the paint. So, yeah, and I think Ben Simmons is a you know Sixers have a pass first point guard, so the role players are yeah. just going to be amplified um, because of the nature of your point guard, right? And uh, the Nets have two pass first guards. I mean, score first guards. Yeah, uh, but I think the one thing that we kind of under that you, we kind of neglected here is the whole the, the whole fascination behind the Nets is that they aren't just like your typical push three stars together and and, and talent and hope talent rules the day. It's that. Kyrie has been willing to reinvent his game or to, to shift his game into a, to a way where he's not dominating on ball as much. He's allowed Harden to be the point guard when Harden's been available. Durant can just 
playoff ball and get 30 points against nothing. That's a whole they, – they function at a high level. Like, like like three stars. I, I don't think the ego is there as as much as it, as it as it's sort of been made out that it can be in, in situations. I think Harris is such a good three point shooter that he's like one really good pin down away from curling into a big shot that changes the momentum of the game. And I think that margin of error is 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 so significant, so so minimal for the Sixers that you're realistically looking at like two or three shots from him, from Joe Harris can change the, the nature of a series. So are you switching off ball? Are you, or are you putting, who are you, are you putting Danny Green on Joe Harris? Yeah, probably. Yeah. You put Danny Green on Joe Harris, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe you're switching on those pin downs if Thibault is also in the game. So you're not giving him any, any room to operate. But then the catch is this, and the catch becomes this: the Nets are going to then put Durant in those pick and rolls. So if they, so if they do switch, then fine. You have Danny Green covering Kevin Durant. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. I, and you, and uh, you see how Danny Green even guards a guy like Chris Middleton. He can't even stick with. He can't even like yeah, contest, no, contest Chris Middleton rather than contesting KD. <laughs> yeah, it would be very problematic. Uh, but Matt yeah. makes a good asks a good question here. If Brooklyn, if Brooklyn loses that series because they're playing Embiid straight up, they're going to be the laughing stock of ESPN. Like you're going to have Stephen A. popping blood vessels in his forehead if they play Embiid straight up and lose a series to the Sixers. Like they, they couldn't possibly go an entire series and just not double team him. But like, do you think they try game one to not double? Team I mean, you saw yeah. in the last game they played against them, they tried to do it, and, and as soon as they that every time they tried to do it. DeAndre Jordan was getting a foul call on him or same with Claxton. So it's like, it's, it's not like, like in that, and this is why I said in that series, like I, the reason why I think it's a really interesting series is because it's really going to depend on how the Nets decide to guard, guard the Sixers. Are they going to send a bunch of triple teams or a bunch of double teams down on Embiid? Cause if they do, that's when the Sixers really can get their best basketball going. If their role players are hitting their shots. So it's, I, that that's to me is the bit really big question there because I don't think the Nets can survive a series against Embiid going one on one. It's gonna come down to it's gonna come down to can can Danny Green, can Matisse, can Seth, Shake, all of them do the job they need to do uh, in, in the roles that they have. Let me ask you this, Jason. Do you think Daryl Morey deep down thinks that they can beat the Nets? Um, I would say that given his uh, fairly patient trade deadline, I would say probably he's got a number in his head, a percentage chance that's below 50%. I think he does not think they have a chance. That's my guess. I, I don't know. That I, 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 he operates in probabilities, yeah. right? So it's not that they don't have a chance. Does he think they? Does he think it's likely? <laughs> yeah, I think he probably thinks it's lower than fifty percent. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if your chances of winning a title are above fifty percent, you're you're probably a, a a Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant esque team. I, I I would venture to say he probably thinks the probability is somewhere around. I don't know, 7%? To get to the finals or to win the finals? 
See, I, I think, think the fact that that's even a question shows. I think the fact that that is even a question shows that it's definitely below fifty percent. Obviously, yeah. like, I, I was going to question... say that he thinks they probably have about a twenty to thirty percent chance of actually getting to the finals, and then even yeah. less than that to win. Like, like, yeah. let me let me say this. I think already before the season, where the Nets had Kyrie and KD only. They were already like it was already a concern on whether or not the Sixers were going to be able to, like, on who was going to make it to the finals. And the fact that Maury did push pretty hard to try to get Harden on this team, I think, shows even more so, like, his confidence in it. And I, but I think that once he struck out on the Harden thing, I think he has gone into, um, Play it straight up. Make make a good, you know, hit hit a double, uh, hit a single at the trade deadline. Get a George Hill. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. We haven't talked about George Hill at all, especially in the context of this series. That's true. Um, but not pushing. Chi- he did not push his chips into the middle of the table at the deadline. He just didn't. So no. did you expect him to at that point though? Because like if he, if he I didn't expect him to at that point. I mean to Austin's question though, that to me is the indicator of whether he thought he was close enough to to push all in. Because he very much is a believer in if you have a chance, you push the chips in the middle of the table and he didn't. Yeah, but yeah, who was yeah. he who was he pushing? Can you that's guys a valid, that's a valid question? I think Number one, like you can push your ships in all you want, but if the guy that you want simply is not available, like like I'm ninety nine percent sure they they had extensive talks about Zach Levine, whether it be at, on draft night or whether it be down the road towards towards trade deadline, they wanted to try to get Zach Levine, and you could have pushed all they wanted to if the Bulls said no, we're, he's not available, then he's not available. So I don't know that I I don't know that the right I don't know that the guy was was there for them. Yeah, um, and I think it happens. I still believe that happens this summer. But Levine, I think, I think it just. Uh, you, think still, the, you think the Sixers trade for him? Yeah. I feel like come like on this in this past trade deadline. Daryl probably would have wanted to go like in hard for someone, but the problem to me was that anybody who he would have wanted to grab or that would have looked good next to Embiid long term wasn't available for the price that was adequate to him. There was a lot like you look at guys like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine that in the past have been, or even like a CJ McCollum that in the past have been like, okay, yeah, they could be a good guy to bring in next to Embiid. Well, all those guys right now are at the height of their price, basically. Like Washington had just traded for Russell Westbrook and wanted to see what's going, how, how that could work out. Zach Levine was is having his best season yet. Like they obviously don't want to trade their best player and move back, like even more so after losing for this long. And CJ McCollum has worked well next to Damian Lillard, so at, at so far. So it's like. What what guy what guy could you see them having brought in besides uh, when Harden was available that could have like made a big difference for this team without having to give up a ton? I mean, it's a it it's 
it's, I, I'm not critiquing his decision. I think he probably made the right decision. I'm just framing it in the context of Austin's question, which is, did you think he was close enough to overpay, look bad, have people say he gave up too much, uh, you know, gut his depth, gut his youth pipeline? Um, he I don't did, think he I don't not to do that. My, I answered the I asked the question in somewhat rhetorical rhetorical mind in that I knew you didn't think he did and I and because I I also know, don't think that he believed in it either um, I think that his that the the refusal to go the extra distance to get uh, Kyle Lowry uh, who I mean if you ask Daryl I mean I'm sure if you asked if you had to ask Daryl in private like who's two favorite players in the NBA are probably Kyle Lowry and James Harden are his two favorite. Um, and the fact that he didn't, you know, he, I mean, I'm sure that, that he went as hard as he could for James Harden, knowing that that was the, diff, that was the one, that was the guy that was going to, that was going to be, okay, this is me cashing in and going all in. When that didn't work out, it was, you know, Kyle Lowry was, was a thought if available, but I think ultimately, um, you know, in, in, in that time frame, he, he didn't think that, Kyle Lowry was that much of a, of a of a ceiling raiser to the point where it was a lock that you would get over the nets, um, and certainly wasn't worth cashing in on Matisse to him, um, Tyrese Maxey. Although I think Max would probably be gone this summer if, if I had to guess. I agree. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think they're going to trade Maxey for sure. Who do you think they trade him for? Like, where's the value? Like, exactly. Who, who's, really? Yeah, as I, part I, of a very large significant. You think? Package. But yeah, I'm about to say because you like. Here's my like. I'm trying to think about that. Look at the agents, and which uh, we're we're not factoring the agents, mm-hmm. uh, and who is a and who's represented by who. <clears throat> but you should, and I think that will be a factor in how some trades in the off season go down. Um, well, because Tyrese is clutch, right? Yes. So is Ben. So and, is Ben, and, and Levine is not. And, and and who have they who have they dangled in trade packages this season? Ben and Tyrese, Ben and Simmons, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's. I think that. I now that here's my thing. I I don't think this is to say that they that they are like so like willing and, and and ready to get rid of Ben Simmons. Like I don't think that's the case. I truly believe. I, I mean, I, I'm very confident that Doc loves Ben and is very authentic in the way he feels about Ben. I think Daryl, to a lesser extent. Probably in like Ben, I think Daryl still thinks highly of Ben, but I don't think it's in the same vein that Doc does. Um, well, I mean, forget all the critiques or the, any of that stuff. Ben Simmons doesn't fit the Daryl Morey philosophy of basketball. Just doesn't. He doesn't at all. Uh, it, it, so. I, I think it, it's it's the thing. The thing with Ben is Ben brings so much to a team, but it really depends what kind of team you want to have. And I feel like if they want to go all in with the type of basketball that they, that they want to play with Embiid and they want to maximize his game, it's like, and don't get me wrong, the game that they have now, there's a reason why they have one of the best duo, like duo ratings in the NBA. Like their, their games can fit together, but if you're just trying to, just trying to maximize a certain type of basketball or a certain type of offensive play, in the half court or whatever, wherever you want to call it, it does make more sense to bring in a different guy like Zach Levine. 
um, it, rather than Ben Simmons. Even though I know, like, and Ben Simmons brings a shit ton. He brings a lot on defense. Can brings a lot in transition. Bring even brings a good amount in the half court. But like I said, just if you're trying to maximize Embiid's potential offensively, it's it makes sense. If you're clutch, don't you want your guys in the biggest markets possible? And uh, Chicago is a huge market that just has been laying fallow for ten years. So, also, you think you think Ben would look really good with with Vucevic? Uh, I think he would look good with a lot of those guys. I think I, I, it's really weird that they didn't pick up the option on marketing, but I think Ben and marketing makes sense to me. Too, yeah. Court, uh, Kobe White and Ben makes some sense to me. Um, I instantly fixes their their defensive side. Yeah. I, I think like with, with Ben, like the markets that are not Philadelphia that I think he would like to be in are like LA, Chicago, New York. Those are like, yeah. those are the three. That's yeah. It. But you're not, you're not getting Paul George. No. Uh, because you have Doc Rivers as your coach. So it's not going to be. Yeah, I don't think that would. I don't that think is still so funny to me. That is I think so that relationship so funny has, to me. Has, uh, has has seen its end. The Paul George relationship, that's for sure. Um, Who's Paul George's agent? Uh, I don't know. Probably, I would. I'm just guessing here. Like probably like Jason Glushon of 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 CIA be my guess, but I don't know that for a fact. I'll look it up. Um, um, yeah. But, I, I, I but, just, and, and no, and, and Matt, I'm not saying this. I don't think that I would do that trade. Because Levine is is that much of an is is just not very good defensively, and I I, I think you're, I think Ben and, and Levine are like not on the I mean I think Levine's a better player than Zach Levine, or no sorry I think Levine's a better player right now than Ben Simmons but I think that they that Ben impacts winning more than Zach Levine does. Um, regular and, season, regular season. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't I don't I wouldn't do that trade, but I'm just thinking like. This is like, the asking price would probably include Tyrese Maxey, and I think the Sixers are in a, in a, in a spot where they're not low on Maxey, but they're not high enough to keep him out of the trade. I think if you talk to if you talk to Daryl Murray early last season, or sorry, early this season, they were a lot higher on Maxey than they were than they are now. Um. It doesn't. By the looks I'm getting from both of you, you guys do not agree with that statement. I don't know, but I do know that. I mean, read what Doc says about Tyrese. He he he's not overly like willing to give him confidence. He's not overly like complimentary. He's not. He's he he tells you like he's very up and down. Um, even when games where you think like Tyrese like aesthetically look pretty good. Um, and, and I think his lack of playing time in a, in a, for a team on a, on a roster that has had such a painful experience at the bench tells you a lot about how they about how Doc views Tyrese, and I think as an extension, how the, the team views Tyrese. We got people in the comments right now saying uh, some stuff. I don't think we're not really sitting here and saying that. Uh, jo- jo- Joel here says I don't think Zach is better than Simmons. We're not saying Zach Levine is like a better player necessarily than Simmons. We're saying he may fit better in playoff situations, 
playoff basketball wise next to your like superstar center MVP center Embiid. Like that, that's what we're saying. It's we're not exactly saying right. that we're not saying that Zach Levine is this end all be all like better player than Ben Simmons. It's well, it's just not. I mean, I I just think like like Levine is better at the most marketable thing in the game, and that matters uh, a lot. And I I think the like the Ben has a bigger impact on winning. But I think if you're looking for the player that's going to shine brightest in in, in a significant big game, it's probably going to be Zach Levine. So um, let's use Giannis as an example, who maybe wins more regular season games as, as a has his personal impact on a regular season game spread over eighty two games. His impact is huge, and then the playoffs happen, and the game is a different game in that scenario, and where people are less. Um, disciplined defensively, less likely to get into half court. Uh, they have more cracks for a super long, super athletic, uh, multi-talented player to exploit in a regular season that those things tend to go away because of his inability to score at three levels. So, um, the playoffs are just a completely different beast. And it's it's one of the reasons that Harden, I think, is it's a little surprising he hasn't been to an NBA final because he is the type of player that in a playoff series on paper just really is super problematic. Well, didn't – I mean, they were like literally one game away from a finals and then the Rockets shot, oh, 28 from three. I mean, that was a thing. Yeah, so, no, I'll, I agree. I, I, like, I, I, it feels inevitable that he becomes an NBA champion. So him being on the, on the Eastern Conference rival is is kind of tough, um, but when you when you compare, uh, you step down a tier and you say, all right, archetype wise, Ben Simmons is more like a Giannis archetype, and Levine is yeah. more like a Harden archetype, right? Yeah. Neither yeah. might be as good, but those are your your archetypes, and one of those just lends itself to playoff basketball more than the other. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to address a, a, a couple more things here. Ike says Levine is a better fit for the playoffs. Ben Simmons gives you nothing offensively, and threes are critical. Can we st- – listen, I don't I, – people on, on YouTube and Twitter love to say Ben gives you nothing offensively. I, I don't know what to tell you anymore because well, wait, they, they love it on sports radios. Where if you want to, if you want to talk about, he may not give you as much spacing as you would like for for your for Joel. I could completely understand that. No, I think he's really good at creating offense for other. people. I agree. I completely yeah. agree with that. I just I can understand that the sense of you wanting a guy that instead of standing in the dunker spot right there, he can stand in the corner and shoot a three from there when, when, when Joel's the paint, I can understand that spot, that thought to spread the offense out more. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that you, that Ben Simmons, what would he say again? He said, uh, 
gives you nothing offensively. Nothing offensively, and threes are critical. That's completely. He generates. Yes. He generates. Yes he generates as many threes as anybody, yeah. just because he's not taking them. He by proxy generates a lot of yeah. uh, a ton of threes actually. And I want to make it clear that none of us are sitting here and saying that he is a bad offensive player. We're just saying that offensively, it is not I and the ideal like most potential you can put in the offense around Embiid by having him on the roster with him. That's yeah. all we're trying to say here. We're not saying he's not a good offensive player. We're not saying he doesn't he is doesn't create threes. We're sitting here and saying he's just not the ideal partner. And if you are an undisciplined defense, he will dissect you all day long. Oh my god, yeah. But if you are a Toronto Raptors, Boston Celtics, very connected defensive team uh there are ways to neutralize him that uh are just not um something we should just ignore it, it becomes like an either or discussion it shouldn't be yeah um matt says all this telling me that there's zero shot maxi is the reason harden was in a sixer this was about matisse style more than anything I, I i think i mean matisse style i think is a, a player that they Maybe not untradeable in the right package, but they aren't going to give him up for just anybody. So he's got, he's got so much. He's so good defensively now that even if he becomes a little bit better offensively, he's going to be an amazing player on any team you put him on. Yeah. So who is the uh, who is the person that uh, vetoed that? Because Doc didn't, didn't remember at that time of the Harden trade. Matisse was coming off an injury and really hadn't played well at all. And hadn't played much at all. So, is Doc the one pounding his fist on the table to keep a guy that's never really played for him? Maury is there. This guy doesn't necessarily fit. Justin, go ahead. Who's the I guy? Think, I think that could have been Elton a little bit. I think because because Elton was the guy who brought him in initially, um, and because he he has seen that value over the over the last year. On a consistent basis, I think he could have been the part of part of that saying, "Like, listen, dude, we've been looking at this guy for the four years he was at college. He has consistently been the best defensive player we've seen in a long time. You're not going to find another guy like him for a while. And if you're trading away Ben Simmons, who is the, one of the other best defensive players in the league, having a guy like that on the perimeter is going to make a difference when you bring a guy like James Harden in here. Yeah, yeah." Um, I think like, like we talk about like the best fit around Joel Embiid for the playoffs. You don't want the ball out of Embiid's hands. You want to maximize Embiid's shots because he's arguably the most dominant force in the NBA right now. Ben Simmons is not going to jeopardize the number of touches Embiid gets. In fact, he's going to maximize them. Harden is going to jeopardize them to an extent. Little yeah, v- but that's also a good ball. It's good to put your ball in James Harden's hands. It's way, way different. <laughs> yeah, but Embiid would not be the ideal pick and roll lob partner. For oh no, it's not. He he's just just that's not his game. He's you know MVP level candidate, but uh, he's not the type of center that will just feed off of. Um, he's not Shaq. He's, he's not. not Rudy, Shaq. He's not Rudy Gobert, who just his entire. Uh, he's not Clint Capella. He's not. Norvell Pell in that aspect, right? It, yeah. it's just, he's a face up. He's a face up five. He's not like that. That's his best game. Face yeah. face up from face up from the post. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up with this. I'll give you guys a couple names here for the off season. Jason, do we're you, talking about the off season right now. Do you, do you think? 
<laughs> do you think the Kyle Lowry sign and trade thing is real? Uh, well, it, it depends on the other swings they make. So if they don't pull off a mid-prime superstar trade, I could see them falling back as a plan B in a, in a Lowry sign and trade. Um, I could see it. Okay. I agree with that. Let me ask you another name because this is something that was floated to me. DeMar DeRozan. I mean, in my opinion, I, 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 uh, we'll, we'll watch him tonight and he'll probably go for 40, but, um, gosh, I mean, while you, is he, is he really that different than Jimmy Butler right now? Um, I think he's a better scorer. I think he's a better scorer when it comes to a guy who's going to get you buckets in late late game scenarios. I think if if you want, but when it comes to if you're comparing to Jimmy, maybe not not better defensively, but when it comes to getting you a bucket in late game scenarios, I think he is. I think he's better than him. Okay. So you are giving up. Uh, you're going to do a sign and trade with um, Danny Green in a Demar Derozan deal right that's the only real way to make that work yeah uh how much is so let me let me bring up his salary as, as you're bringing as you're bringing that up if if you're giving up oh, danny green they'd there, both be signing trades wouldn't they the rosen's a free agent here's so, my thing with the day with, with, with that does that really make sense offensively I'm just saying it was. It was depends a, on how you feel about uh, Matisse Thybul. The the question I literally got that was sent to me, that was sent to me by someone who was with the Sixers was, how would you like to see Demar Derozan in a Sixers uniform next year? And it just made me think. Like, I I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, I uh, doesn't feel right to me. I think if it would have, it would have felt more right when you had JJ Redick on this team. And like it, like in the year where you had Jimmy Butler, if you plug, if you take out Jimmy and you plug in uh, Demar Derozan, that kind of thing, I think that makes a little bit more sense with that kind of team. But like when you're talking about the team you have now, unless you're switching out, um, unless you get a point guard, unless you're trading away Ben Simmons as well and getting a different guy there, that creates more space in the court. It doesn't. I don't. I don't think it makes much sense. Yeah, that's probably add this element. I'm, I, I said he's with the Sixers. He claims to be. He's been right in the past about things, so we'll see. But that was just a name that was floated out to me. I thought it was an interesting one, so I'm not quite sure. Obviously, um, we've we've mentioned Levine. The Bradley Beal's thing, I think, is the, is the, is the big the the, the grand prize because is Bradley Beal. But I think the issue is that he doesn't want out right now. Um, We'll see how this that happens if they get into the play-in and actually get in the playoffs. That could change things. Yeah. But now, there is one. Thing. But but who are you who are you trading for Bradley Beal? Because it's definitely ben, not Ben Simmons. Ben, you would I would trade Ben Simmons for Bradley. Beal. No, but you would. But but why would the Wizards want Russell yeah. Westbrook and Ben Simmons on the same team? <laughs> fair. <laughs> fair. It's fair. But I think you're. I think at that point you're just trying to maximize the value you get. Or a star who is asking for out. 
Again, I think it's all contingent upon Bradley Beal actually wanting out. The other domino that I'm waiting to fall that I think could be possible, and Teddy with a great segue here, Damian Lillard. There's been some some frustration there recently. It sounds like Terry Stott's time is coming to an end there. Um, What if Damian Lillard says, I want to win a championship. I don't think this team can do it. I want out. The big thing with okay, and I, Damian Lillard, I think, I, Damian Lillard is the guy that raises you from a conference finals contender to like okay, and this is the team. Philly RB, I don't respect your basketball knowledge anymore. The fact that and, you just but, said he's overrated, but um, but, Damian uh, Lillard and also fits on Portland. Like it's real easy to see that. Yeah, yeah. Upgrade for defense too. The, the here's the thing with the Damian Lillard thing, and he has consistently talked about this. I, I watch a lot of interviews with him because he's one of my favorite p- players to watch. Um, he has talked about how he's had no reason to want to leave because he likes his coach. He can take he he likes the how he fits in this offense. He can do whatever he wants in in his offense. He um, likes where he is. It's a low key place that appreciates him and appreciates the team. Like. He likes where he's at, so I don't know really if he want, um, unless like like you said, unless there's like really big problems, unless he the coach switches, he doesn't like the ideas of what's going on. All of a sudden, doesn't have, doesn't have as much control over the situation. I can understand that, but like, I don't. Uh, for right now, for me, it's very unforeseen circumstances. Like, I don't know, I don't see that happening right now. I think if you so like, let's just let's just for a, as terms of the of, of a thought exercise. Let's just say, like, Lillard asks for a trade. He, he gets tired of it. He's 30, 30, 31, wants to win a championship. Tired of getting slept on. He, he wants to win a title. Yeah. Isn't he slept on anymore? I mean, yeah, I mean, but besides I mean, Philly it, RB, it, it, it took him, it took, it took him for what, how many oh, years to, to, to put up like 30 plus? To, to to finally people to realize okay this guy's a legit MVP candidate. I, no, I, he's had heroic moments in the playoffs. Yes, yeah, many has. years. He has. But I think he's one of those guys that yeah maybe the super casual like only watches TNT basketball. Yeah, uh, might not think of him as a top ten player, but I think he's in a pretty good spot where he doesn't have the pressure that that the top guys have where their game is picked apart. Yeah. All um like real hoopers know he's you like can't even pick guy. his game apart anymore. Like he's he literally can do everything you need a point guard to do yeah. in the NBA right yeah. now. He is, I, I he is the complete point guard in my opinion. If, I think if he becomes available, that's the one that you that you say like okay this, you got hardened that's well I'm gonna go get Lillard. And oh I'm, my god, dude! And he then is. I'm gonna win a title. Because um, I mean, and the other aspect of this is like, if Joel goes down, got you know, knock on wood, of course. But if he has to miss a week or two, or two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be, Lillard can carry the offense by himself for three weeks and win you games against the best teams in either conference. My only, my only thing with with Dame, the pair, if that were to happen, my this is all. This is this is all just maybe maybe's if and when whatever like what this is not something that's happening. I want to make that make sure that's I'm clear. To this live right now. I want to make sure that's clear to everybody who's watching this. Sources but if, 
if if that were to be a thing, the one thing that would concern me a bit would be the pick and roll type stuff that Dame does like to run with Nurkic in Portland. Um, obviously, that is not Joel's game. So thinking about that, does that concern you? Being that Lillard fits very well with guys that run to the basket, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, he does, but I think that it becomes more of a pick-and-pop thing where it yeah. flashes out, which takes the rim protector away from the rim. And mm-hmm. and, and that could open up more for Dame, so that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. Uh, Jason, any parting shots? Uh, no. Wow. Pensive. Wow. J- uh, Justin, any parting shots? Uh, I mean, no. Thank Follow you to everyone who, who <laughs> is with us live. The comments are wild. That, that's my parting shot. There we go. Yeah. As always, thank you guys for tuning in to the feed to Embiid. Austin Krell, find me on Twitter at NBA Krell. You can find Justin on Twitter at just a J underscore Persichetti. And then we have Jay Blevins NBA. Jason and I cover the Sixers for the Painted Lines and 97.3 ESPN on the daily. Justin is our, our producer and streamer for a lot of our shows. Um, as always, thank you, thank you for, tuning, for tuning in. Joel has a question. I have a question. What is your question? Get it in, Joel. It's your moment. You got one He's shot, Ravis. Please. <laughs> Mom spaghetti. Let's hear it. By the way, people tweet at me if you want to do the post po- us do the post game show tonight because I have a paper I need to write. So if, if you guys give me enough incentive to write this paper before the game, then I will do a post game show after the game with uh, Tiago. So let us know if you want that want that to happen. Tweet at me. Who are we keeping for the in the bench for off season? A side shake. That's a very complicated question. I mean, I I think Paul will be here. I think George Hill. George Hill. No, actually, I don't know. I think that contract is tradable considering well, yeah, every contract's tradable, but I think he's, he fits as a good backup point guard for this team. Sure. But I think you, if you can get him, if, you, if he makes up the difference in a bigger deal, then you put him in that deal. Um, yeah. I, I think it's too early to, to yeah. say, because some agree. of these guys are going to have heroic moments that will amplify, amplify their trade value. Yeah. And uh, none of them are untouchable. So, Mike Those Scott are- got re-signed to a two-year deal solely off of making a corner three against the Nets. <laughs> yep. Uh, and and him drinking and him drinking uh, uh, rum and coke on the uh, <laughs> in the um, in the uh, stand. It was Jack. Yeah. That was Jack uh, Straight. Oh, yeah. it was Jack Straight. Okay. Well, yeah. well yeah. as always, everybody, we do appreciate you. Um, you can subscribe to us on YouTube at the Painted Lines. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Pods and SoundCloud, um, where I post all of the pods. We, th- we Again, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week for a brand-new episode. Take care, everybody. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy the Nets and the Bucks and then the Sixers and then the Spurs tonight. Uh, and just enjoy your Sunday. We'll see you next time. Peace.